Hello, baseball fans. Welcome to Sully Baseball. This is the podcast where we talk about baseball 52 weeks out of the year. There is no offseason. And I'm your host, Paul Francis Sullivan. Please call me Sully. I'm recording this on the 26th day of April, 2018, from the luxurious Sully Baseball Studios in Pasadena, California, overlooking the historic Rose Bowl. Hey, something happened today, actually just about an hour and a half ago, that is something that I have talked about and beaten the proverbial drum for on the Sully Baseball Podcast for a few years. And it's a positive thing. And I want to talk about it, but also talk about it from a slightly different angle than I had talked about in the past. Uh, the, the street that is called Yawkey Way in Boston has been renamed, has gone back to its original name, which was Jersey Street. And the reason is, is I think that people have come to realize that the Yawkey family were not really people that we should celebrate. They weren't. They they were people who were not very good people. And when you name a street or you erect a statue to someone, you are celebrating them. You are honoring them. No one puts up a statue or names a street after someone Because, do you know what? This person was a real ass. Let's name the street after them. Naming a street, erecting a statue, putting a plaque, having an honor is honoring someone. And the Yawkeys were honored in their lifetime when they lowered Tom Yawkey's ground into the dirt and he became an all-you-can-eat buffet for worms. He died a Hall of Famer. And beloved with a street named after him. And as far as he knows, because I don't believe that you have a ghost. I don't believe in ghosts. That's how it ended. And so he had that ending. And now it's time to take down the street name. A lot of bad things happen under Tom Yawkey's watch and under his nose. The Red Sox were the last team to integrate. The Red Sox had a horrific history in terms of racial equality. Grotesque. And I'm not even talking about social justice here. I'm talking about they could have had an outfield of Ted Williams, Willie Mays, and Frank Robinson. I'm talking just as a fan. Beyond the good things. He couldn't find room for Willie Mays on his team, but he kept Pinky Higgins. He was on the payroll until he was dead and probably five, ten years after that. The man who said there will be no black players on the Red Sox as long as I'm alive. He said that in public and he didn't use the word black players. Tom Yawkey was so incensed by that, he kept him managing the team until he, was, until he was mulch or in some capacity in the organization. The Red Sox had to integrate because they were the last team. There were other teams that were dragging their heels. The Yankees dragged their heels until Elston Howard showed up uh, eight years after Jackie Robinson made his debut, after Larry Doby made his debut. It wasn't just Jackie. There were several. 
And teams start saying, hey, wait a minute. We can bring in some of the, you know, the, the integration was usually superstars. The best players from the Negro Leagues came in. The next wave was when you got to see, like, hey, a utility infielder, because that was, you know, you had to be the best in the Negro Leagues to get a, a consideration for the major leagues. Willie Mays got a tryout, was not our kind of player. Of course. He had to make room for Jackie Jensen, so there's no room for Willie Mays. And they, there were protests in the 50s. Do you realize how bad you have to be to stick out in the 50s as racist? This was before the Civil Rights Act. And someone said, you know what? We have Jim Crow laws and segregation. But you know what? Those Red Sox, they go over the line. They stand out. And it didn't end then. They lost a racial discrimination suit in the 80s. Do you know how hard it is to lose a racial discrimination suit in the 80s? People didn't even know there was racial discrimination still going on in the 80s. And they lost the suit. This was the culture that Tom Yawkey festered. And oh yeah, there was the whole clubhouse attendant abusing, and that's the euphemism of the day, abusing children. And the Yawkey's knowing about it and not doing anything about it. It took for the kids in the early 90s who are now adults to start showing up at games in Anaheim with signs saying Fitz, uh, Fitzpatrick raped me in the Boston clubhouse and holding those signs up. This is the legacy. And as I said before, if you are against renaming Yawkey Way, I will ask you, what part of the Yawkey legacy do you want to celebrate? Not bringing in Willie Mays? Institutionalized racism that stood out in an extraordinarily racist time? The enabling of child rape? Or never winning the World Series? How about that one? And also, let's not forget, I mean, there are wonderful myths that are made. He loved the city of Boston. He only wanted Fenway Park. He wanted to move the team. He wanted the city of Boston to build him a dome stadium with artificial turf downtown Boston to share with the Patriots or else he was going to move the team. Look it up. That's Tom Yawkey. Never wins, embarrasses the team. Could have been a symbol of progression in the city of Boston, the way Red Auerbach was with the Celtics. The Celtics were the first to integrate in the NBA. And they kind of sort of won the championship every year. With Bill Russell leading the way. And the Red Sox didn't have that because they had the Yawkeys. The Yawkeys have been celebrated enough. Change the name to Jersey Street. 
Everyone who remembers the Yawkeys even being the owners of the team will soon be dead anyway. And that includes me. But I was thinking about something. What did I just say a few minutes ago? The Yawkeys wanted to move the team. And it wasn't until 1967 when the Red Sox had their surprising run where they won the American League pennant that suddenly going to Fenway Park became a positive thing. Fenway Park became a negative thing for a while. Fenway was just another old stadium that was sitting empty during the season. They couldn't draw flies to the team. Remember, him not integrating the team, not only did it mean no championships, but also meant no butts in the seats. Go look at the attendance records, especially after Ted Williams retired. Oh, there was a lot of room to put your feet up, put the drink on one seat, and put your hot dog on the seat next to you. You weren't in anyone's way. You were going to get a foul ball because there was no competition. The Red Sox couldn't draw. But, you know, let's, let's talk about how he saved the team. And in 67, people started going to the game because suddenly the Red Sox had a competitive team again. And Fenway Park became, oh, I kind of like Fenway Park. And suddenly it became a positive. It wasn't until then. I point to the beginning of what we now call Red Sox Nation and the mythology of the Red Sox to be 1967. You could create bullshit that it was Ted Williams and the teammates and everything like that beforehand, but that's, that's retrofitting history. It really began in 67. And at that point, suddenly Fenway Park became a positive thing with, with the Red Sox. But they were threatening the move. Every city had, we want a dome stadium, we want a multi-purpose stadium, threats going on. Now, let's talk about one thing that I love, though. I love talking about if history zigged instead of zagged. If this happened instead of that, how would life be different? And there was a moment in the late 40s where... Something could have happened one way or the other in the city of Boston, and how would it have been different? Now, if I say to you, the Red Sox were the last team to integrate. They were. They integrated with utility infielder Pumpsy Green. Okay. So I'll ask you this trivia question. Who was the first black player in Boston Major League Baseball history? It's not Pumpsy Green. It was Sam Jethro. And I'm not talking about the 1882 Boston Bean Eaters or any bullshit like that. I'm talking about Sam Jethro, the Rookie of the Year of 1950 for the Boston Braves. The Braves integrated before the Red Sox. The Braves were ahead of the Red Sox. Now, the Red Sox won the pennant in 1946, nearly won again in 1948. The Braves did indeed win the pennant in 1948, where they lost to the first integrated American League team, the Cleveland Indians. The Braves and the Indians in a series with two names of teams that make people scratch their head a little bit now. That's a different podcast. 
What if this happened? Yorkie was not a New Englander. He was from Michigan. He bought the Red Sox as an investment in the 1930s. By the 1950s, he started seeing there were greener pastures in some of these cities that were having trouble supporting more than one team. When you looked up and you said, you know what, St. Louis can't support two teams. Philadelphia can't support two teams. Boston can't support two teams. By some miracle, the White Sox stayed in Chicago, and it became clear that even in New York, that the Giants, again, the Giants couldn't draw. The Dodgers were having trouble drawing. And you started seeing teams looking out and saying, where the hell else should we play? The cities have spread out because the, where the cities and the teams were located in baseball in the early 1950s were based upon where populations were at the beginning of the century. 1900, 1901 when the American League was formed. Well, now it has spread out and they started seeing, hey, you know what? Maybe Philadelphia can't have two teams, but maybe Kansas City can Maybe a city like you know, Baltimore can. I know that's an East Coast team, but trust me, it makes sense of the analogy. And other cities like Houston, like Atlanta, where it spread down south. Let's say, uh, you know, as I mentioned, Kansas City. Other cities started clamoring for a team. And eventually, California was saying, hey, do you know what? Plane travel is making it possible for you to go coast to coast and not stop every 10 feet like one of the Indiana Jones maps. And so Los Angeles and San Francisco started to look like a potential place to land a team. And so teams that were having trouble, especially ones that had to share a city with another team, started looking around for greener pastures. Now the Athletics were a team that had a greater history than the Phillies. But it just so happened that the Athletics got a deal to go to Kansas City, and the Phillies stayed put. History could have been very, very easily written that the A's stayed in Philadelphia and their great history going back to Connie Mack and Jimmy Fox and and Rube Waddell and all of them would be connected with Philadelphia right through whatever incarnation of the A's, including if it turned out to be Reggie Jackson and Ricky Henderson and everyone like that, would have all been big Philadelphia teams. The what if I want to bring up is what if it were the Red Sox and not the Braves who moved? What if a city gave Tom Yawkey big piles of money and all sorts of power to set up shop? He was I in Houston at one point. But what if, I mean, what if he set up shop in Atlanta, Kansas City, Milwaukee, and the Braves were left in Boston to be a, the team in the city? You take a look at what would have been left behind with the Braves, a team that already had Sam Jethro on the team. They already had Warren Spahn who helped pitch the Braves into the 1948 World Series and going on to one of the great Hall of Fame careers of any left-handed pitcher in history. You already had Eddie Matthews was on the team, another future Hall of Famer, and the only person to play 
for the Boston, Milwaukee, and Atlanta Braves. But there's a couple other interesting factors to keep in mind. The Braves did indeed move to Milwaukee. If they had stayed in Boston, they had the foundation for a team that would go on to have a wonderful run in the National League in the mid to late 1950s. They won back-to-back pennants in 57-58. They missed making it three straight pennants by losing a uh, a play-in playoff with the Los Angeles Dodgers in 1959. So if they had won one more game in 1959, it would have been three straight pennants. They beat the Yankees in the 1957 World Series. Don't talk to me about the Red Sox it being unthinkable of them moving. Nothing was more unthinkable than the Dodgers moving, okay? So the unthinkable was on the table. If it were a Braves city, and the Braves were the team of the town, first of all, Braves Field would become that beloved park, and there would have been this obscure plaque somewhere around, oh, Jersey Street, that the team, the Red Sox, actually played here. It's kind of obscure now. It's a bunch of bars, but there was actually a stadium here. It's kind of hard to figure out where it would fit in this weird neighborhood, but yeah, there was a team that played here. But then they moved west, and we're all big Braves fans now. Now, another factor to keep in mind is that a player was signed by the Boston Braves, who was in the minor league system when they moved to Milwaukee. And that was Henry Louis Aaron. Had the Braves stayed in Boston, we could have potentially looked at a city whose two biggest stars in sports were Hank Aaron and Bill Russell. Hank Aaron could have been a great figure in Boston sports history. Now, would there still be a tremendous issue of racism in Boston? Of course. It took forever for Boston fans to realize the biggest star on the Celtics was not Bob Cousy, but was actually Bill Russell. There's a lot of... and I'm a native New Englander. I've seen it up close. There's a lot of assumed undercurrent that happens in Boston. Bostonians don't like to admit that. Ask anyone who is not a Bostonian who happens to come into Boston and say, yeah, it's there. And with me separated from it and going back to going, oh man, yeah, it's there. But how would things be different if Hank Aaron were there? The greatest, I'll say it, the greatest offensive player in the history of baseball. This is a guy, if you removed all 755 of his home runs, he would still be in the Hall of Fame with 3,000 hits. He hit all those home runs year in and year out in pitchers' ballparks against the best pitchers in a pitcher's era. He could have been doing that in Braves Field in Boston. And oh yeah, 
The Braves won the World Series in 1957. Imagine the psyche of the Boston sports fan without the, oh, it's not been since World War II and Babe Ruth and all this bullshit. Imagine if the team that stuck around and won a title with the greatest offensive player of all time, one of the greatest left-handed pitchers of all time in Warren Spahn, one of the great power hitters of his era in Eddie Matthews, in a team that already had Wes Covington in their system, another player, another African-American player, it would have been a very different history. Now, Tom Yawkey might have been beloved in Milwaukee then. One thing happens instead of the other. And it's a very different type of history we have. A Braves hat. I, I grew up in the suburbs of Boston. I would have had my Boston Braves hat. And we'd be having discussions of whether or not the tomahawk chop was racist or not. And that is a conversation that is a little easier to have than should we celebrate a man who represented going above and beyond the racist call and throw in enabling child rape and never even winning on the field. <laughs> Tom Yawkey should be one of the most hated men in Boston history. <laughs> you notice that when the Yawkey family trust finally sold the team, they, can't, they won a World Series, and then they won another one, and then they won another one. I don't believe in karma or anything like that. And if a bounce here or a bounce there happened differently in 46, 67, 75, 78, or 86, they would have had a bunch of world championships, and I would have never been on HBO talking about a curse. But it did. And it hung over the team like a stale fart. And now they're changing the name of the street. How would it have been different if it were a Braves town? It's totally unthinkable in some ways, but, you know, history is filled with moments of a zig instead of a zag. The New York Giants were like one inch away from signing Babe Ruth, and the owner of the Orioles just happened, the minor league Orioles just happened to not want to sell him that weekend because he had sold a bunch of tickets. You know, the, the owners of the, if that had happened, Babe Ruth would have been a New York Giant. If the Dodgers didn't get wind that the Senators were being wooed by the Los Angeles City Council, the Senators would have moved to LA. And the Giants would have moved to Minneapolis. And chances are they build a stadium in Queens, and that's where the Dodgers moved to. And if those had happened, that would have been the history we all know and love. And if I said, do you know what? There's a universe where the Dodgers moved to Los Angeles. Like, Get the hell out of here. That's impossible. This is how fragile the things that we take for granted are. The Red Sox threaten to move. That's not an opinion. That's not conjecture. And if they had, and the Braves had stuck around, how would the city of Boston, not just baseball-wise, but in their entire psyche, we're going like, how can I think this way if I'm constantly rooting for Henry Aaron, if I'm constantly rooting for Bill Russell, 
Oh, you know what would have happened. They would have said, well, you know, Eddie Matthews is a smart hitter. (laughs) There would have been a way to frame it. But in the end, the greatness of Bill Russell and the greatness of Hank Aaron would have been too much to ignore. And Tom Yonke would have fallen into the obscure dumpster of history. Do you remember the name of the person who owned the Braves back then? Me neither. (laughs) Me the F neither. So, be careful who you celebrate. That's what a street name is. That's what a statue is. It's a celebration. Look long and hard of who you're celebrating and think about what someone who that person may have hurt would think of that celebration. That isn't political correctiveness. That's empathy. Gee whiz, I was discriminated against from getting work in the 50s, 60s, 70s, and 80s because of the color of my skin. And here's a street name that they're celebrating a man who did that. Hey, I was an abused child, and when I came forward to say, here's what's going on, the people above me silenced me and made me feel ashamed of what happened to me. Oh, here's a street celebrating someone who was for that. That's not political correctiveness. That's saying, huh, I understand that things happen to other people. And because of that, I will stand in their shoes and say, huh, I'm not erasing this person from the history books, but I'm not going to celebrate them either. How the history of Boston would have been different if it were a Braves town other than a Red Sox town. It's a what if, but what if we don't have to face is, what if we kept that name as Yawkey Way? We don't have to. It's Jersey Street now. And you have an issue with it? Guess what? Soon you'll be dead. Just like Tom Yockey. So go to SullyBaseball.com. Like me on Facebook, so I have an iTunes, SoundCloud, YouTube, Twitter, Stitcher, Instagram. I'm everywhere. The music is by Ted Thacker and Patrick Kaliski. Talking about changing street names and alternate realities. This has been Sully Baseball for the 26th day of April, 2018. I'm yours, Paul Francis Sullivan. Please call me Sully.